Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the program. My guest today is Jay Mahanan, the CIO of the U.S. Agency for International Development. Jay, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's been about seven years since I had the USAID CIO on my show, so there's a ton to catch up on. So we're going to start maybe on the back end of the story and uh, ask about some older priorities and how things have changed over the last seven years. Back in 2012, when I talked to your uh, the USAID CIO, one of the big areas of focus was network modernization and the move to the cloud. Tell me where we are today with that network modernization and the move to the cloud. So we're at a point where we have no legacy systems in our architecture anymore. Most of if not all of the IT services used by the agency staff are either cloud-based or coming from our cloud architecture. As you know, we have a global presence over you know 80 plus missions around the world and being fully cloud enabled provides them access to these services anytime, anywhere in the world. I think that's extremely important for the business that we do. We do we have staff that move around quite a bit. And you know, being, being cloud enabled actually has been very, I think, effective in terms of the business of USAID. Now, one of the things when you talk about no legacy architecture, that's hugely impressive. I don't think I've ever talked to a CIO who says we've modernized. Talk a little bit about what that means by either being in the cloud or or coming from our cloud architecture. Put a finer point on that. So, I mean, I'd separate that. So if you, if you have the definition of cloud in, in general, right, you have infrastructure as a service platform and software as a service. I think if you kind of look at the architecture we have, and we do have kind of a private network where we have our you know, internal app, but they're basically at our data centers, our outsourced data centers. You know, we have, you know, cloud email, we have a set of other, um, you know, software as a service, and we have a platform, you know, as a service that we use for development, um, you know, for for internal apps. So, you know, from, you know, from our perspective, um, I, you know, I, I think that's where we are. So, so in many ways, what you have is is the, the, the public or the commercial cloud piece, and then you have an internal cloud, where, as you said, you do SaaS and, and PaaS type of development. Do I have that correct? Yes. All right. So just walk me through a little bit about how you guys got there over the last seven years, because that's impressive. I mean, to, to basically, I don't know about fully modernize, but at least move everything into a cloud or a internal data cloud. That, that's a that's a big step that most agencies are still struggling with. Yeah, I mean, you know, for us, it was like, you know, we started really early, about 2010. I think we talked to Jerry Horton, the previous CIO. I mean, we started pretty early. I think the first thing we've done, you know, we did was actually move. The, the first thing that we actually had issues with was basically the business of USAID. I think one of the stories he tells is that he was um, in one of the, in Afghanistan, and, you know, they were looking specifically at, you know, doing emails. And what he was what he was seeing is that, you know, um, the, the folks were having issues as, as far as, you know, getting into the email system and being able to do their business. So one of the things that popped up was really cloud, you know, the cloud services or cloud email. And, you know, we, we took that as kind of a, you know, a sign that we really need to do something here because we're not able to do the business of the, of the agency. And so that was kind of the journey as it started out because we started moving from cloud email, I mean, removing all the, um, the exchange service that we have and BlackBerry service and just going, you know, truly uh, cloud, ran Google suite of applications and, um, you know, our cloud MDM. And from then on, we basically started moving our data centers and then the rest of the application. You know, at that point in time, you know, OMB came out with, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the cloud first initiative, which we really took to heart. And, you know, we, 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 you know, created a process where simply as OMB laid out, if you're looking at a service, you know, make a determination whether or not it can be moved to the cloud. And, you know, we continue that move. Uh, throughout, because there is nothing that really prevented us from doing that. You know, I think when we start looking at the security, 
you know, um, of these cloud providers, uh, they have to go to the same rigor as, you know, we do internally for any of our internal applications. So we see that as a plus. And so we continue the journey till you know, the point of where we are right now. Those applications that could be moved to the cloud, you did, if those that can't, were they kept in-house in your internal cloud or were they modernized? What kind of steps have you taken? Uh, yes, they were. So this, at the same time, I said, like we said, we moved our data center where it was located internally um, in the Ronald Reagan building. We moved it over into. It's multiple moves because we've actually done multiple contracts. Um, uh, you know, as far as infrastructure as a service or data center services, um, and so you know, simply the application that we we deemed internally that we need to manage, we kept it inside of that private cloud. And the rest of them that we actually looked at, you know, say again, Google Suite, um, ServiceNow, a bunch of some of the other applications that we have, we, you know, we continue to basically make a determination that these things will be better, you know, bad, better outfitted outside into the cloud. Uh, the one thing that we actually did as well is that, you know, simply for all these different applications that were coming in, we have single sign-on for them. So majority of all our, our applications internally are single sign-on. They can be accessed from the outside as well as internally again, with our um, PIF card. I want to go down that path because that's kind of the next set of areas that I think a lot of agencies are trying to go down. Before I do that, Mm -hmm. did you guys do some application modernization as well as part of this effort, meaning certain applications just weren't going to live in the cloud and certain ones potentially couldn't live in a, a, if you will, your cloud architecture? Did you have to relook at these apps and do some rationalization and and, and then modernization? I mean, you kind of take a look. Let's take an example with the, you know, um, mobile device management, right? I mean, you simply you could have something internally, or you could have a cloud service. I think, like anything else, we look at it first. We look at the security of it to make sure that you know either we can actually get an, an ATO for these for these applications. But you know, we make the determination. We had a process that we laid out to see whether or not we were able to do that. So yes, there were there were some application that you know we simply uh, just replaced it. You know, ServiceNow was uh, we replaced Remedy was there before. We actually replaced it with ServiceNow. So we make this determination as we move along specifically and, you know, kind of what the best fit and, you know, what's the most cost effective, more effective application for, for uh, those specific software. One of the things I hear from a lot of uh, other CIOs around the government is their apps rationalizations. They're just going down that path where they're saying, okay, which applications can move and which can't. So the fact that you guys are, are gotten out of the legacy architecture, put as much as you can in the cloud, what are the, some of the biggest benefits you're seeing? I mean, we know some of the normal ones like agility and flexibility, but what are some of the maybe more recent benefits or things that maybe people don't really expect that, that you guys are seeing benefits from? Uh- I mean, you know, I think the the overall cost uh, in in general, because I think you know we see savings. I think if you're able to capture the cost and track it, you you know you will be able to see um, you know some of the savings. But you know, I think accessibility. Again, given the fact that you know we are we are international, we have these you know 80 plus countries that we're in. It's easy to get to these you know application. And again, the security is is in place. So I think you know that is a strong point for us. You mentioned single sign-on. Let's go down that path as well for a minute because I think, Mm -hmm. again, a lot of agencies are moving toward that. One of the big buzzwords you hear all the time is zero trust, and really the the zero trust is a concept, but but a big piece (laughs) of that is identity and access management. Talk me through a little bit about how you added that single sign-on piece to this cloud architecture and, and the other applications in the cloud. You know, the one thing that we started out when we when we're actually looking at cloud email, we wanted to make sure that we didn't have a separate kind of authentication for that for that service. So we started looking at, you know, um, basically in, at a single sign-on you know tool for you know for our sake, and you know we you know we we chose um, you know Ping Identity as as kind of the, the initial service. 
And, you know, what we've seen is that, you know, it was pretty flexible in terms of, you know, what, what it could do. And we started with, you know, with, with uh, the Google suite of application and then just actually, you know, start looking at the rest of the applications that we start bringing on. We start looking at our internal app and we know we could do that. And so and now, again, it was one thing after another. We basically, you know, worked with each one of the vendor and some of the cloud provider as well. And even some of the shared service provider, we've actually worked with them to, to you know, to basically, uh, you know, integrate with, with Ping and, and, you know, be able to provide us that service uh, for all the, you know, the staff in at aid. Right now, if you just got on your computer, you could put your PIV card in and mm -hmm. then you're, you have access to whatever you're allowed to have access to, right? Yes. What are some of the biggest challenges to get that? Because each application was different. Each one, you know, again, because you got rid of your legacy, did that make the single sign-on easier as well? Uh, I think it made it, yes, it, it definitely did. I mean, you know, I think as far as flexibility is concerned, again, when you don't have to keep most, I mean, from a security perspective as well, right? Um, no matter what, you know, people are going to keep their, their username and password, you know, either on the machine or somewhere in their office or, you know, somewhere where they can actually remember these things. Remember, with uh, the government standard, is, is, it's, a, it's a complex password, and this is something that, you know that that is that needs changing frequently, and so you know people just write it down. I think for us is that you know simply um, you know integrating our our uh, you know basically our PIV infrastructure with all these different applications, and it's you know getting access to them. It, it's just the e the ease of use, but it's also for us it's really you know um, you know protection against um, unauthorized access. Just looking forward a little bit because once you have the single sign-on in place, then you can start moving towards the roles mm -hmm. and responsibilities piece. The, the really deeper identity and yes. access management. Are you guys there yet, or are you moving in that direction? So we're pretty close. So one of the things, yes, authentication is, you know, definitely there. Um, you know, uh, authorization is something else we need to work on. So we we are, you know, again, as part of the, the, the CDM initiative, I think that is something we're going to be looking at really closely with some of the tool sets that they have. All right, and I know we'll talk about CDM in just a little bit. Jay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, mm -hmm. we can uh, continue on maybe okay. some older priorities. My guest is Jay Mahanan, the CIO of the U.S. Agency for International Development. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jay Mahanan, the CIO of the U.S. Agency for International Development. Now, Jay, before break, we're talking about your cloud infrastructure, and, and what has been impressive is, as you said, you're about 99.9% .9 either in the cloud or using a cloud architecture, which is great. You mentioned mobility as a key piece to that, whether you're on your phone or tablet or no matter where you are, you can access the uh, hopefully the data as well as this, the applications. And, and back in 2012, an older priority at the time was to make it easier for employees to use mobile devices. So maybe... Talk a little bit about how those two things, the cloud and network modernization, has enabled mobility. You know, I think I mentioned the, you know, the the move for us, you know, simply as far as our data center, that was kind of the the first kick for us in, in terms of you know, just trying to get from a network modernization perspective, you know, uh, things centralized. I think for us is just simply getting to where we can actually cent centrally control some of these applications was actually great for us and at least start because then again we can be, you know, pretty more, uh, pretty agile in the way we want to do things. I think simply, you know, again, the, the cloud architecture itself has actually helped us tremendously to get to that point, you know, and all the o overarching, you know, we talked about single sign-on as far as the, uh, you know, the additional infrastructure that's needed to really support some of these things. You know, I think simply what we've been doing in the last, you know, last seven years is start moving away, you know, from all the local applications to basically central, you know, to, to actually manage it centrally to that, you know, cloud-based architecture that we have. And again, providing, and you know, let's, 
and let's start taking a look at you know at least the usage of these devices because I think the endpoints is extremely important in really mobility. So we talked about tablets, we talked about smartphones, we also talked about you know laptops in general. One of the things we've been doing is just moving away from desktop into laptops, providing more you know more mobility to the users there. You know locally, what we've done also is that though we've kind of moved away simply from you know an application uh, storage perspective, we've actually um, you know deployed wireless networks in most of our overseas missions. There's some that we still need to do, but you know for us is that you know being able to have the flexibility of moving around, not just internal to the mission, but also outside to be able to get to these services. And again, and we you know we overlay the security on top of these you know on these devices. Uh, I know with certs on these machines, uh, you know to ensure that you know we know that these machines are, are GFEs. Um, that's uh, government furnished equipment. But, you know, but we all, we've also just made sure that you know that you know we have flexibility in terms of the different types of models of um, devices that we have. You know, definitely we standardize on the the Apple suite of products, but we also have you know a combination of uh, Wintel machines as well, uh, just to give flexibility to the users that we have. But I think you know overall, uh, I think just the movement to the the cloud, the modernization we did with the data center, and just we've also you know taken a look at the infrastructure local to the mission and basically virtualized the um the servers there into kind of into um you know you know maybe a single appliance that actually does both what when optimization and are able to store you know uh, actually have servers virtual servers in the appliance as well so we actually have our you know, domain controls or pin servers, um, in some cases a little bit uh, more in terms of just local data that needs to be there. So, you know, overall, as far as the architecture is concerned, um, you know, we've moved away from kind of the local application to more central, uh, but providing kind of the, the transport in this case to where they can access all these applications uh, and services. One of the things you brought up was the Apple products. And I was going to ask earlier because you brought up the word BlackBerry, and I don't hear too many CIOs mm-hmm. say BlackBerry anymore. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is your current mobile infrastructure looking like in terms of it's mostly Apple products or, or you have a mixture of Apple, BlackBerry, Android, or, or whatever? No, it's, it's standardized on the Apple, um, sorry, on the Apple devices. No, no, I realized that you had uh, said BlackBerry earlier, but I realized that you, mm-hmm. you also said Apple devices. So I was just wondering how that worked. And then uh, the other piece of mm-hmm. this is you mentioned government furnished devices. So no BYOD policy. Mm-hmm. You, I can't. Uh, can I get on the network with my personal device or not at all? No, you have to go. So we have virtual desktops to actually get into. So we have Citrix as a as an option. Okay, so there is to get an option. into the network. There is an option if I want to use my yep. personal device, but I got to go through that VPN. Yep. Okay. I think I think that's helpful too because obviously people you know as, as you well probably know people well but I like my laptop and I don't like the one you gave me right you probably hear that once in a while from uh, different people so th- there is that access but they have to go through the security rules uh, f- from a mobility right. perspective as well do you have a way because people are going to use apps and, and they're going to be in different parts of the world where they may have to do some you know local work that gets uploaded later to the to, to the centralized piece. What's what's the security piece you mentioned MDM a couple of times? So that's uh, mobile device management. I mean, basically, it's it's stolen the machine, so we can actually, uh, you know, so if the the device gets lost or stolen, you know, basically we can wipe it. You know, so there's basically some security controls that we can do. We can look at what, uh, what you know, what's installed on the the machines themselves. You know, at some point, you know, be able to either, uh, you know, take a look at either the look at the app and look at any type of threat within the app itself. Um, so there's a couple of things that we can actually do with the MDM. It's an interesting thing because 
I hear about MDMs a lot, but then there's the next level mm -hmm. as they talk about mobile security that they start to go into and really start worrying about that endpoint piece, which is a great segue to cybersecurity because I think that's the third mm -hmm. other priority that we talked about maybe seven years ago. Back in 2012, obviously, USAID was focused on improving their FISMA scores. Here we are uh, seven years later. I'm sure your FISMA scores are better. Uh, but maybe talk a little bit about mm -hmm. that, how that network modernization and the cloud efforts are really key to your cybersecurity efforts, too. The, the question simply maybe is not necessarily related to that because I think when we, when we actually look at cybersecurity and, and you know, uh, I think at the point you talked to Jerry was, you know, it was something that, you know, our score were basically um, lower. Lord, um, but you know when when we actually look at it, you know I think it's a combination of you know tools and capabilities, process and governance are basically key, you know, to cybersecurity, right? Because I mean, in the past uh, what seven years, there have been quite a bit of new laws, new mandates, memos, executive orders, even the scoring methodology somewhat has changed. Um, so you know, for us to keep you know keep up with these changes, we really have to take a look at you know um, the the three things that I just mentioned. Uh, and so what we did is basically laid out a roadmap, um, you know, the the different capabilities, um, you know, tools, process, governance that we need to have in place just to manage you know security overall. You know, you mentioned zero trust. I think the the, the idea is a good idea, right? I mean, the point is is that you don't trust anything. You don't trust the individual. You don't trust the device. You don't trust anything in the network. And so I you know I I think that the, you know the simple thing is is that you know to build around that because, you know, at some point, you know, you know, agencies really weren't looking internally. They were always looking at how to protect us from the outside. But, you know, there's the, the idea of, of uh, you know, internal threats as well. So, I mean, we have to build out, you know, a security posture that would basically, you know, adapt to both, both internal and external. So, for, you know, for us, it's taking a look at, you know, what we need to do and create a roadmap of these different things that we need to have in place. Um, you know, it's actually helped us tremendously because if you actually look at, you know, our scores, you know, we met all our, our you know, 10 cybersecurity cap goals in addition to that. When we got audited last year, you know, one of the things they do look at now is this maturity model. I think we came in, you know, four out of five. So the, the things that we're doing specifically in, you know, in those three areas have actually helped us, you know, to you know, to keep uh, on top of the, all the changes that's happening. I think the changes are great. And I think, you know, if you do understand security, you're moving that way anyways, right? And so the thing is, is that you just want to make sure that you have these capabilities, you know, in place so you can, you can do the things you need to do. So, yes, from, you know, 2012, the scores uh, weren't great. But I think, you know, that was, for us, it was um, an eye-opener. And, and we wanted to make sure because, you know, the move to the cloud is, is great. But the other thing, you know, at that point when they were talking about it, it was the security wasn't, wasn't great. And I think, you know, one of the things we focused from, from then on to where we are now is to continue to look at really how to improve our posture. Uh, and, you know, again, protect the data, protect the systems, the, the, the you know, the individuals, um, and, you know, whatever else that we need to do. And one of the benefits of the cloud is not so much that you've outsourced your security because you still are very much responsible for your security, but you're taking advantage of whether it's a Google or a Salesforce or whomever that they have a security layer on top of that, and plus you have your ability to audit them. That's where I was hoping maybe to get to around how are you benefiting from the cloud from a security perspective as well. You're absolutely right, right? So the, the question is that, you know, the, everyone that really manages an IT system have to follow the, the, the NIST guidance in terms of the, the security controls they need to have for their application, right? Because if I'm, I'm going to choose, say, Google, they still, I still need to give them an ATO um, and the authority to operate within the agency. And so we would definitely look at their, you know, their posture. And yes, I mean, in our case, you know, th those controls, if we have to, again, if we have our past email system, we would have to do the same thing. We would have to look at, look at it, look at the controls. 
and give it an ATO. It's the same old controls that Google would have to have in place. So yes, it's it's easier for them to actually do it where we're just checking. We do have to look at our internal, the matrix of our controls that we need to do uh, and then give it an, an ATO. But uh, you know, I, I think you know if you have to choose between the security that Google provides to something that we provide internally, you'll definitely want to choose Google because of the, you know, if you you, you know if you get a a briefing or the in-depth, you know, level of security, you would find that the, it's a, it's a little bit better than that we that we had internally. So yes, in in cases like like that, we've seen some of these large vendors have done a great job of meeting those controls. But we've also seen, you know, vendors that you know we had to push them to get to that to that level as well. The the thing is is that to make sure that you know when you're looking or assessing an application for use, whether it's cloud or internal, there is a process that's laid out by NIST, OMB, DHS, to make sure that when we're looking to give uh, an authority to operate within a, for a system, we need to follow that process to a T. And then we need to assess the risk at the end, because if you have you know high findings with these vendors, either they fix it or you, you decide that you, you don't want to use them because of the vulnerability that exists in their system. So, I mean, it, it is, yes, it is some part of that, but the other thing is it's within the agency uh, responsibility to ensure that, um, you know, that they're comfortable with uh, the posture of that specific application. All right, very nice. Let's take a quick break. We can come back. We can uh, continue our conversation on security, and then we'll get into some of your newer priorities. My guest is Jay Mahanan, the CIO of the U.S. Agency for International Development. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jay Mahanan, the CIO of the U.S. Agency for International Development. Now, Jay, before break, we were talking about cybersecurity. I just want to go down that path a little bit longer because one of the things you mentioned was uh, you got audited last year, and not only did you met all the goals under the cyber cross-agency priority goals that OMB laid out, but you also received a four out of five on the maturity model from the IGs and, and the NIST maturity model, and that's impressive. I'm not sure any agencies are, are quite there yet. So talk about how you got there and what role did the roadmap you talked about play to get you into this uh, maturity level? Simply what we did is, you know, the NIST put out a you know, maturity model, a cybersecurity maturity model. Basically, we've, we've, we've kind of taken uh, what they've done and look at the different maturity levels they've, they've kind of laid out and what really needs to be done. It's, it's pretty prescriptive in terms of what we need to do. So we use that as kind of a baseline, um, you know, to start putting together the capabilities that we would need, capabilities, tools, processes we, we need to have in place to ensure that we were, we were able to meet that specific, you know, item or function or activities within a maturity level. And so, you know, we started previous years, I think we've got, you know, it was a 3.2. I mean, last year was a 3.8. So, uh, you know, when they actually calculated the score. And so, you know, what we look at is just simply looking at all these activities and seeing where we are. So we actually track it. We have, you know, internal projects, we have tasks, you know, we have SOPs that we need to create. So, you know, it's it's been kind of an ongoing thing for us for the last couple of years where we're taking a look at maturity level and seeing, you know, how close we can actually get to it. And we do a self-assessment per se, you know, because it's something that we need to make sure that we understand is that, you know, you know, for the auditors to come in, yes, it's to validate where we think we are, but we, we continue to re- you know, try to reach to achieve a level. Uh, and senior management is, you know, is definitely into this. They've supported us, you know, tremendously in, in providing us the, the funding that we need to, 
you know, get to the level that we need to. And so, you know, we, we will continue to do that. There's some areas that we need uh, to do a little better. There's some areas that, that I think we're, you know, we're pretty good. But it's something that, you know, uh, we will continue to, to mature. You know, and again, we, we talked about zero trust. And one of the things we, we wanted to look, to look at is looking at it from a different lens because definitely maturity model provides us the roadmap that we need to get to, you know, have these capabilities. And again, achieve the results that, you know, we, we just talked about. But simply, I think we also want to look at it to make sure the capabilities that we have for, you know, protecting the endpoints, protecting our data, you know, protecting the network and the staff is something that we want to take a lens to make sure that we have enough capabilities. So, you know, we, we will continue to take a look at that and continue to kind of strive to that, you know, the 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 whole uh, zero trust model that's been specified, or the intent of it, really. So we'll continue to do that as well. Was there any concern ever during this point of, of raising the maturity model of, of really implementing uh, a lot of the cyber cap goals that you were veering off into compliance world versus actual security world? That, that we've heard that over the years from a lot of different CIOs that, that a lot of security has become a compliance checklist. How did you stay away from making this a compliance checklist? Yeah, I mean, for us, is that you know, I mean, my background is in, um, you know, I, I've been in IT for I don't know, 25 years. I started programming. I've been a network engineer. I've been a DBA. So, I, I mean, the whole point of this is that, you know, we know what we what it takes to actually execute. And I, and I think simply, you know, we don't do things just because of compliance sake. And, and you know, what we've seen from OMB and DHS is, you know, people think of it as compliance, but but it's not that. I think in uh, we see it as best practices, right? Because I mean, some of the things that comes out of the, uh, the organization is something that we needed to do. Either we're doing it, um, and then the you know we actually get guidance, uh, or we get guidance and we're doing. But when we look at it, it's something that we need to do in order to protect ourselves, and we see this. So yeah, you know, you take CDM, right? I mean, CDM is not a compliance activity. CDM, whether it existed or not, and it was an initiative by DHS, it's simply. Um, we would have to do it. Why wouldn't you want to know who's on your network? Why wouldn't you want to know what's on your network? So these things are extremely important. Uh, and really, to you know, to protect yourself, you need to understand where your assets are because the assets basically is you know an insight into your network, uh, into your data, into your application. So again, you know, simply, uh, you know, I won't get caught up in that compliance discussion. Um, I you know I just see this thing as kind of practical and things we need to do. And you bring up CDM again. Let's go down that path briefly. One of the things about CDM is the implementation for a lot of CIOs has been a little frustrating, a little slower than they wanted. You're hopeful to mm-hmm. take advantage of some of the CDM tools around uh, identity management as well. Talk where you guys are at with the mm-hmm. CDM implementation. You know, we we actually have done you know phase one, phase two, and phase three. We're actually going back and taking a look at where we are phase you know in the phase four, looking at the gaps. I think the whole point of this is that CDM, uh, the activities within CDM is in our roadmap. And so we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we're able to do it. You know, uh, I think we looked at, and we work very close with, with DHS on this. And, you know, they know our feeling, yes, it's been a little slow. Um, and, and if we have to do it ourselves, we, you know, we, we, will, we will proceed ahead and, and do that if we need the capability or be able to protect our network. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, overall it's been, it's been a kind of a positive direction for us into into you know understanding that is actually have brought a lot of things to you know up front the things that we need to do specific segmentation you know the whole asset management process that we need to have in place i mean it's just not what's on your network right it's really when you purchase the asset uh, what happens to it and, you know, how it gets into your network and how it's disposition. So you're looking at, you know, asset as, as a whole. But, I, you know, I think the, 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 the city implementation is, you know, for, again, if DHS didn't do it, we would, we would have to be do it. I mean, all federal agencies would have to do it because in order to meet the compliance, 
in order to meet the level of maturity that you need to, to, you know, to manage security or manage your security posture, you need to be able to have these tools in place. So, you know, that's where we are right now. And, you know, for us is that in the, we are, you know, I have biweekly meetings with the, uh, myself with the um, DHS rep. And so we talk about all different things that we want to do. I share what we are with our roadmap. So, I mean, we're all on the same page, and it's great to, you know, to see, have a good working relationship with, um, with the team. You talk about you're into phase four, which is, again, I'm not sure any other uh, CIO that I've talked to is that, that far advanced. What's the biggest benefits you've seen from getting through phase two and phase three, which I think where a lot of agencies are? I think it's the maturity of it, right? Because, I mean, you lay some tools down, and then you have to take a look at, okay, you know, you start looking at the processes itself. Like I said, if you look at what's in your network, the question simply, you you have to take a look at what you've purchased and what's on the network. And, and when you have a gap there, you have to start asking questions. I think, you know, by the mere fact of having these tools in place, you start have, you start looking at IT governance as a whole, right, whether or not you're doing the right things. And then you start setting yourself, you know, you start asking the right questions, where are these devices, why is it not being reported? In our inventory, we have this. So it's basically syncing up our inventory and start, you know, asking the right set of questions. I mean, if you're seeing something in a network that doesn't have an IP, you know, a range of IP address that you didn't have, you're actually seeing this. So it really is getting to the point, it's the maturity. When you start it, yes, you may not get the benefit, but when you start looking into it and it becomes operationalized, you start seeing gaps that you need to, to handle. But you're also seeing, you know, governance related issue and process related issue um and you know those are the things you need you need to fix um you know i you know i think the whole aspects of um you know having you know a dashboard and take a look at your vulnerability where you can actually you know you're getting a, a score specifically on your your effectiveness basically to to manage your the security of your your agency is great and i think it you know it motivates us to make sure that we have all the right processes in place but it's to be proactive it's not the way that it till you know say the dashboard is turned on it's simply in you need to do that now, right? It's it's something, and I think again gets back to the difference between compliance and and you know operationalize and making something, and uh, would you see the benefit in in the technology? Jay, we spent a lot of time looking at some older priorities. Let's jump into some new ones. You've kind of mixed mm -hmm. it in as we've talked through it, but maybe give me a sense of what are you trying to get done over the next six or nine months, whether back office or mission focused areas. There's a couple of things. I think you know we just awarded our, our, uh, our O&M contract. I think one of the things we did early on was basically consolidated all our uh, you know operational maintenance uh, services. We're talking about help desk, the NOC, the SOC, uh, you know desktop support, application support. So we consolidated in a single contract, and you know we just uh, awarded it to new vendors. So in the next, I would say next three to six months, you know we will be looking at transition, you know from the previous vendor to the the current vendor. And that you know, given the fact that it's it's so large, it will take a lot of our time. So the priority will to the priority is to make sure that it's a an effective transition because we definitely don't want to you know to affect any of the services that we have. So it's something we need to focus on. You know, it's you know you can have innovation, but you know if you don't have a good operation, then you know it's, it's visibly seen. And so something we want to focus on. So that that's you know kind of number one priority for us. The second one really is you know the continuing this maturity level that we have. There's some uh, aspects of uh, technology that we need to implement. So we'll continue to do that. Um, we have the, you know, our FISMA audit is uh, coming around. And so the focus, both of this, the, the roadmap itself and the, um, you know, the execution of that in addition to that is just looking at, you know, for the next six months or so, we will have the FISMA auditors in here to, you know, taking a look at our systems and, and, and doing the, the assessment. So that, that's number two. And number three really is um, we have a, an enterprise portfolio management system that we've been developing for the last couple of years. Um, so it's ready to be deployed, and this is worldwide. 
So we're looking at what it's going to take for us to, you know, start the deployment, you know, and, uh, you know, try to finish it within a certain period of time. I think it's, you know, for an agency, any type of enterprise deployment, um, you know, change management and training is extremely important. And the the system itself, it's, again, this is built on, on the cloud platform that we have. It's it's integrated into login.gov. So we've done some, yeah, I think some pretty cool things in terms of the integration. It basically ties into all our um, you know, enterprise system as far as pulling and pushing information. So um, it's something that, uh, you know, it's been in the works for a while, and we're looking to actually get it deployed and seeing the feedback from the users. You know, plus the cool thing about it also has a, a partner portal, we call it, where we would have our, our implementing partners uh, kind of interact with the agency through that through that portal. So we're, we're looking at collecting, um, uh, you know, and we'll talk about data in a minute, but, you know, we're looking at really the raw data that's collecting in our programs and as well as the programmatic information, you know, for the agency. So, you know, I think it's it's a good start for us um, in terms of getting this deployed. So, I, you know, I kind of sum up those three. And we have other things operationally that, you know, we're looking at implementing CASB. We're looking at, you know, some um, item activities that we're doing. So there's still other things that we're, we're working on. But I think from a priority perspective, those are the three key ones. All right, Jay, there's plenty to dig in there. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, dig into some of those uh, top three priorities. My guest today is Jay Mahanan, the CIO of the U.S. Agency for International Development. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jay Mahanan, the CIO of the U.S. Agency for International Development. Now, Jay, before break, you you let us in, in on some of your latest priorities, uh, about three things you want to work on. Uh, one of the last things you mentioned was an enterprise portfolio management program that you're about ready to deploy worldwide. Give me a little bit more about what that enterprise portfolio management system is, what will it do, what, what kind of benefits do you expect from it? From a, a project standpoint, from a portfolio, so we're looking at all the you know all the projects that we have uh, that you know aid is working on, you know you know we're talking about any type of um, activity, say you know uh, say health programs or school construction, whatever that that aid is, water program, whatever they're doing within the country itself, and to be able to collect you know collect that data uh, centrally. Um, you know, for us, it's 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 extremely important to right now. There are systems there, but the, it's it's not necessarily tied into kind of the enterprise. So, like the fi- the financials are not there, the procurement portion is not there, and even some, you know some of the budget information is not there. So, I, I, you know, simply it is really an integrated system to pull all this information. The one thing we really haven't collected, you know, centrally um, in in you know kind of a a consolidated fashion is simply, you know, all the um, uh, all the programs that we're working on, and you know, these programs itself have uh, performance uh, associated with them. So it's collecting all the performance data as well. Um, so it's really knowing what you know what's going on in the country and you know how the programs are really doing. So it's capturing that information, but it's also capturing information. You know, for us, it's important. Is like you know, I talked about the the raw data per se. So if we go out and it's an education program, and you know they're collecting you know information, survey information, you know the the raw data, uh, you know we capture that as well. Um, you know, and in some cases we provide that back to the public when it's you know cleansed, um, you know somewhat to make sure that there's no you know sensitive or, or privacy information in there. But you know they really to reuse that data to you know build stronger programs. So those are really the for us it's really the, the key things. It's really the integration, the collection of this information. And, uh, and also the the interaction with the you know with our partners um, uh, so we can actually get into the system so it's really not having to enter you know enter data multiple times into a system it's simply do it once you know and and that's all we need to do so 
And again, the flexibility, it is, it is cloud-based. It's something that can be accessed from anywhere. And uh, the security, again, is, is, is involved in that. And this is one of the things that um, we worked on with login.gov. The folks there, uh, it was, you know, it was great as far as, you know, what they've, what they've done. And, um, you know, simply getting the authentication uh, through there for the implementing partners is great. So we, I think we've done some clearly uh, significant things just to get the, the system up and running. So it's really, again, uh, change management and training um, to see really wh- where this takes us. Well, good luck of getting that deployed worldwide. And as you mentioned, change management and training sometimes is the hardest piece. The technology maybe is, uh, we'll use this in, in air quotes, easier <laughs> side of the, of, the, of the effort. I want to also get to another important piece that you guys have been working on, which is FATARA, the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we did a, a, a pseudo interview, a, a, if you will, an um, online interview uh, several months ago when you guys got an A. So I'm glad we were able to talk in person. Talk about your continued progress to meet the spirit and the intent of FATARA, and maybe what are some of your, your remaining biggest challenges around uh, implementing uh, the law? I, th- I think it is again. It's I don't think necessarily you know just for, for there internally to us. It's not necessarily just compliance. It really is to you know take the intent of the law and kind of you know uh, oper- operationalizing it. Um, and so I think you know internally uh, I've we've um, you know I've, I've got really good relationship with the CAO and uh, the CFO. And when it comes to things that we need to do in the compliance, not just the compliance aspect of it, the execution as- aspects uh, for Terra. Um, you know what we've seen is. You know, simply, um, you know, educating the staff itself. And it's, I mean, it's a marketing campaign that we've started. It is something that's going to take us a while. But I think that, you know, we are in a really good place. For Fatera, really, the definition has changed. I would say changed a little bit, but it's a little more specificity behind it. Um, and I think that was that was great for us because it, it delineates what is, um, you know, program IT per se on what is agency use. And I think really that's something that, that, um, that wasn't there before. So it's really uh, helping us understand a little bit more about really the portfolio of IT within the agency, you know, and getting, you know, senior leaders to, to kind of agree to that and support that, which they have done. So I think we're in a, we're in a pretty good place. It's just, you know, and right now it's just taking a little bit of time to make sure that people are educated and able to, and, you know, just find a way to identify, um, you know, uh, IT, um, you know, in, in contracts, because sometimes it's written, but it's not necessarily specified. And so, um, that is something that we're working uh, with our um, acquisition folks to make sure that um, we're able to at least assist and at least identify that. And our planning um, program p- folks to make sure that, you know, um, that if there's something that we can identify them at the beginning. So I think, you know, overall, it's been pretty positive. Now, on the scorecard, yes, I mean, if you kind of, if you look at the last scorecard or, or the last, you know, few times it came up, but we did fairly well. Um, you know, some are not necessarily tied directly, you know, per se to, um, you know, Fatera itself. But I think, you know, we did fairly well. I think, you know, we had the, um, you know, our FISMA score is now on there. I figure it's going to be at some point when the next scorecard comes out, it'll be um, an actual uh, element in the overall score. But, you know, I, I think, you know, if you look at that, it's that we've done fairly well all across. I think it was all A's and maybe a B for the last card. Um, we didn't do so well in terms of the... Um, uh, what was it? The uh, working capital fund, but it's something that we're working on. But I, I th- again, overall, I think we did we've done fairly well as an office and 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 ensuring it. And again, being proactive in the things that we've what that we've been doing, it, it's really what what you know got us to where we are right now. Jay, do you expect to have a working capital fund in place, or you said just one of the areas you guys are working on? Can you talk a little bit about what some of your plans around that are? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things I think was the last hearing where the, the transfer authority is important for us, and it's simply um, to make sure that it is 
that is something that that appropriation law we we're trying to get that in there um but it's something that we need to transfer authorities to create the working capital fund so uh it is something that we've been you know working with all the parties involved um you know everyone's willing it's just making sure that you know at some point hopefully it'll get in there but that's kind of where we are right now um with the working capital fund and stepping back from uh, Futara, the law itself but the, the really the spirit mm-hmm. and the intent is to ensure that the CIO uh, you have the view, the input, the, if you will, overused seat at the table. Do you feel like that that while it's a it's a it's a progressive uh, effort that you get more say, you're having more influence on how the agency spends IT? I think I'm in a good, uh, actually, really good place because I think right now, in terms of the IT cost center, uh, really, it it is something that I manage. So, you know, as far as authority is concerned, I, I, that's not an issue. Um, you know, there's always a, a you know a governance structure to um, to any agency, and I think it's um, you know, and, and it works well here. Uh, you know, I manage the investment board. Um, I'm the one of the co-leads with uh, with uh, one of the independent offices um, and um, bureaus uh, lead, and so. When it comes to you know IT and IT in the agency, I think you know from an overall perspective, um, the control is within the CIO's office. So and, and I, I think it's seen as that. And usually there's no um, you know I I I just don't I don't feel that I'm lacking any authority at all. And obviously that's a big piece of Fatar. I mean, one of the reasons why Congress passed this law was to ensure that CIOs felt mm-hmm. like they they and and not just felt that way but ha- acted that way. Uh, w- one of the big issues that that you see with Fatara is understanding where the money is being spent. This idea of shadow IT is a little easier because USAID is not such a federated agency, or is it harder because you have 88 mission posts around the world that can buy a router, buy a switch, buy a PC and hook it up, and you may never know? I mean, that, in many ways, that tags back to the CDM discussion, too. One of the things we said is that we've, you know, some centralize the the architecture and so anything that happens in the network we we do know what it is so you know i, I think overall i mean we do it's centralized purchasing uh, purchasing uh, you know we deploy to the network we actually manage the network all the way down to the switches so from an oversight perspective we we, we do know what's going on in, in, on the network so it's it's not necessarily an issue for us uh, i think yes if if there was more fredder you know if we were lo- some of the larger agencies i can see that but i think within within aid we do have a really good idea what is happening you know around us and who doing what and so from shadow IT perspective I think you know at, at the beginning there, there were some but you know we, we've actually you know reached out and worked very closely uh, and have good ro- working relationship with uh, some of the other entities and it's worked out well so again um, from a authority position it's it's not necessarily it's more of a collaboration more than it is about you know authority we, we do understand where the money's been spent and they do understand the you know the the role of the the position and and what it what it entails and what it's responsible for and and I think you know there's um you know mutual agreement that you know whatever happens that um you know we work together to actually address any issues. Jay, we're just about out of time before I let you go. I always like to end end my show with a simple question. I know a lot of vendors do listen to my program, so what's your message to them? How do you like vendors to work with the USAID CIO's office? The one thing that you know we we just strive to be is really be customer focused when you're dealing with you know 80 missions 80 plus missions you know overseas it takes a little bit of effort and i think you know for us is that you know you you have to be custom you know you know customer centric uh that's one of the things we look at it is it is extremely important for us to make sure that we're meet, meeting the the needs of the the staff and so i would say simply um you know if you if you come that's the lens that we actually take when we when we look at the services and how really to manage the service and how we interact as far as the office goes i think you know one of the things that we want to say is that you know i i 
I have a really great team, kind of a, a, a matrix uh, organization here where, you know, everyone sees everything. And so, you know, that that is one of the things that, uh, you know, for us is that we're not stovepipe. So, um, you know, the services that we that we provide, um, you know, it, it basically reflects the entire office. Uh, you know, it's simply, you know, customer focus, uh, you know, very strong technical team. Um, and, you know, definitely, uh, you, know, you know, it's a structure that's really set up to execute. Right, that's really good advice and really helpful for vendors because I have to I have to admit, Jay, you don't get out too much. You don't you don't you're not on the speaking circuit, which is a, maybe a good thing and a bad thing. So I uh, appreciate the uh, the insights there, uh, Jay. We are we are now out of time. So let me first thank my guest, Jay Mahanan, is the CIO of the U.S. Agency for International Development. Jay, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, Pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com.